There's just so much more to hear. Download our podcasts at DubaiEye1038.com. NLT and Tim with you on Dubai 103.8 and we're going to be looking at some of the issues affecting you legally. Our topics today are about enforcing domestic worker protection laws and financial advisors or if indeed even there are rogue financial advisors what position you might find yourself in. Drive live. Talks legal. Our guest today, as ever, is Lyudmila Yamalova from Yamalova and Pletka. It's very nice to have you in the stu- back in the studio, I guess. Good, good to be here and good to see you. It's We've been, been out and about, haven't we, a little bit? We have, and yeah. you too have been out and about even more than the rest of us have. <laughs> <laughs> we'll say no more about that. <laughs> but no, we were at the tennis, weren't we? So we 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 take taking you on a little trip out. Um, but yes, good to have you uh, back with us. And I guess, uh, just to make mention quickly, we've had quite a few text messages in for Lyudmila already. It's very popular, this part of the programme so if you do have anything to ask those numbers again 4001 via the free messaging app or you can call us 4231010 and we've got a couple of topics to get through today Ludman. I think maybe if we do start with, with the new prosecution efforts to enforce these domestic worker protection laws we know about the law's existence I guess this is looking at the enforcement now Indeed, and we don't really have that many details right now because the law is fairly recent and uh, its enforcement is is, is even more recent. Uh, but the idea here is that there will be a dedicated public prosecutor who will um, specialize in reviewing claims that are brought by the uh, domestic workers, obviously related to abuse and mistreatment. Now, this is in parallel and... and um, and follows quite um, quite nicely from the domestic law itself because there are a number of provisions in the law allowing workers to uh, to bring up their grievances and to um, sort of and creating a much uh, a much more streamlined process for them to document um, their concerns uh, something that did not exist before and just by way of reminder until this law was introduced there wasn't actually a law that created any I guess, structure or roadmap for domestic workers to refer to in the event they had any complaints uh, or even questions about what they were entitled to or not, because the UAE labor laws expressly did not cover domestic workers. So in the absence of that, all that they uh, were going by is actually their employment contract, which was a standard contract, which was not very descriptive. So now there is a a domestic law that's in many ways um, similar to the employment law in terms of the the rights and benefits that it describes, but also as, as part of the law it outlines a fairly specific process for domestic workers to bring up their grievances. And in fact, um, they will be registered through a centralized um, authority who too will have um, um, sort of a have a, a kind of a port of, of um, reporting, if you will, uh, for domestic workers to to bring up their concerns in a much more streamlined manner. Furthermore, there will also be... Um, inspectors and that will have the right to with enough sort of advance notice to come to different properties and inspect properties and the workers accommodation and and working conditions so there's a lot more in the law that now creates a platform and structure for uh, for protection of domestic workers and so this particular announcement about the prosecutors obviously uh, is uh, is in the wake of of the of the law itself which will um, will create positions for prosecutors that will be specialized in particular policing uh, those aspects of, um, of, I guess, UE residents. Okay, the first uh, text that we've come in relates particularly to domestic workers, so I think we should start there. This one says, Ludmilla, please can you remind us of the gratuity law for domestic workers? How much is gratuity and when is it due? Okay, so the gratuity is 14 days a year. 
and the contract will be maximum for two years and the gratuity will have to be paid every uh, ultimately at the end of every contract so let's say if the contract is for two years and it, it can only be maximum two years then you have to pay the gratuity at the end of those two years so it's not that even if you're renewing with your maid for additional two years and uh, the um, the end of service benefits of the gratuity cannot be extended into the next contract it has to be repaid or paid paid to the employee before the renewal and it's 14 days of and uh, for domestic workers there isn't really a definition or there's not a difference between basic and and, uh, and total salary uh, because it's all you know, they're sort of assumed to have accommodation covered and so the whatever salary is stated in the contract that's the salary 14 days of that salary that they're entitled to for every year of service okay so if you if it's a two-year visa for a, a domestic worker well actually the visas are only one year so they're far year. Un- unless you're an Emirati sponsoring domestic workers um, expats can only sponsor domestic workers for one year right, right now so there's a bit of a dis- discrepancy right now the contracts can be for up to two years but the visa is only issued for one year and perhaps as time goes on um, the the two will um, you know will sort of coincide and they will and, and there'll be a possibility to apply for a two-year visa but for now it's only one year visa and two-year contract okay so to apply for a new visa to extend that contract beyond the one year even whether it's a, a year or a two-year contract you have to pay that 14-day salary and then uh, how does uh, an uh, I suppose an employer prove that and, and the burden is on the employer to show that they, in fact, that they've um, they paid. And how would you prove that something was paid? Is usually there's a bank transfer or at least uh, a check or through WPS uh, or something. There is there isn't a WPS uh, system okay. yet, but I mean perhaps it's not something that's uh, that's not that's unfeasible that it will, you know, will be introduced. Especially for uh, for domestic workers, you could see that there would be much benefit in having a system like that. Mm. But right now, that's there there isn't one. Uh, but but the burden is on the employee to prove to the authorities that a the their employees are well treated and b that they are being paid all the benefits they require to be paid. Okay. There's an interesting question that's coming about property, Ludmilla. This says, I own a property in Dubai, which I'd like to keep on and rent it when I leave Dubai. Can you explain how I can do this? One of my concerns is that the bank account will be closed when my work visa is cancelled. Well, the um, previous position was that whenever you cancel your residence visa, the banks usually would also cancel your bank account. And uh, that was a practice that existed for a few years. But lately, for the last several years, that has not been the case. At least we have not seen banks exercising that right um, as regularly as they used to. In fact, most of the people we know, uh, when their residence visa uh, is canceled, that does not get reflected in their banking relationship at all. Uh, So... The, the, I think the issue of bank often happens if you, for example, have a loan with a bank, be it a mortgage or a credit card loan or whatever other loan, and then they can see that your employment relationship has ended. And often they will see that by uh, by um, having, well, I guess, you receiving your end-of-service benefits into your bank account. And so they worry that in those kinds of cases when people's employment ends that, and they still have open lines of credit that they might mm-hmm. um, that they might leave the country without paying their debt. So in those cases, the banks can, for example, block those amounts and block block those accounts until they until all the uh, loans have been paid but in the absence of any such debt with the banks we have not seen banks exercising uh, the the option of closing so in, in other words the chances are and obviously you should you should consult with your bank uh, but chances are that the bank will allow you to continue to have your banking account uh, so that will allow you to obviously continue to collect your rent um, mm. into that bank account uh, otherwise you can also cr- uh, have a power of attorney uh, issued to someone you trust and in that power of attorney you want to specifically 
specifically include the property and the name of the property that you own and also for the person who will be managing the property um, the right to accept money and perhaps uh, the right to even deposit money in their account so in that case when you're renting out so if you do not have a bank account here or for some other some other reason you don't want to continue to have a bank account and but you do have a trusted person you can have them uh, collect money on your behalf and then do the bank transfer to you uh, another option and this is um, this only works with certain kind of people is just to agree with your tenant to receive um, bank transfers into your international bank account mm. obviously this is a much more convenient um, option for often for both parties but there is little security for the landlord that they will actually continue to receive that payment uh, in the event um, you know, I guess whenever the next payment comes in and so and since they're not here to uh, to uh, pay a visit to the tenant directly it may be a lot more complicated to enforce and um, so there's the sort of element of trust is missing but certainly it's an option that is increasingly being used by landlords and tenants as long as, as long as there's a, a relationship based on trust yes as long as you're conducting your account in the way it should be there shouldn't be any problem anymore well in there and there are, you know there are a lot of professionals here who would much rather prefer in fact to, uh, to pay um, by bank transfer because it's a lot just easier cleaner it's easier to document uh, and it's much more convenient it's just it's more about convincing landlords than those people are uh, trustworthy enough for them to continue to to operate in that way okay hopefully that answers your question we do have plenty more coming in we're also going to have a look at financial advisors how you can make sure you're going to someone you can trust things that you can look out for to be safe we've also got quite a complex legal question about going into business with family drive live talks legal our guest today is Ludmilla Yamalova from Yamalova and Plethka. And we've been talking about the new uh, domestic worker protection laws. And we're also going to discuss financial advisors. But right now we have a caller on the line. We're joined by RK, who has a question for Ludmilla. RK, thanks for joining us. What's your question for Ludmilla? Hi. Uh, my question, actually, my wife, she's pregnant now. And she's running in eight months uh, now. And doctor said that she's not allowed to travel back to the home country and unfortunately I lost my job and I just got a 15 days notice period so my last working day will be 31st of March so I just want to check that what the law says about this that my company if they are denying to give me the visa for like uh, two months or something until she will get the delivery because the expected delivery date is like uh, 11th May so if they are denying to give the visa, I will like be end up with the without insurance and without visa. So what I can do in this case to avoid the visa cancellation and the thing if my company is denying to give the visa extension on this case. Yeah, it's a difficult one. I mean, number one, one thing you mentioned is that the company gave you a 15 day notice. Well, the yep. minimum, the statutory minimum notice is one month. Okay. So you should at least discuss that because if you can extend an additional 15 days, it certainly will help you. And and that's just the notice period itself. And I would even look at your contract because sometimes that's the, the minimum statutory by law notice is one month. But sometimes contracts provide for longer notice period. So I would encourage you to look at your contract in the event you might have a longer a longer notice. In the event you do, it would be that contract that will prevail in your case. So there, there you could potentially gain a little more time. In the absence of that, uh, 
then yeah. your best uh, your best bet is to negotiate with the company to see if they can keep your visa extended for additional two months, for example, and perhaps in exchange for paying your end of service benefits and all the other end of employment entitlements later. Um, so that your wife can, obviously, under the circumstances, it seem, seems that it may be, as long as your relationship with the company is, is, is decent, that they might be able to sympathize and at least keep the visa for additional two months, for example. But again, uh, and sort of in exchange, you will not, you will not request all your end-of-service entitlements until that, um, that date. Um, so that's your other options, and that's the option I would really recommend that you, you explore because... Staying with the same company allow you uh, will allow you to also have the same insurance, which is tremendously helpful under the circumstances. Yeah, yeah. In the event right. that doesn't happen, I don't know where your financial situations are, but obviously you can try to hop onto somebody else's visa. Um, either obviously find an alternative employment and go onto someone else's visa, or open your own company. Um, obviously, that's much more expensive and it's a little lengthy. It can be lengthy to. Uh, uh, to do though depends on which zone you're opening up but that's that's a consideration and I don't know if if you may potentially own property but if you do own property you could also get an investor visa so okay, and okay. then if everything else fails you could just um, perhaps uh, deal directly with the insurance company and see if you can somehow extend your insurance policy for additional few months right but in this case i cannot go to the labor law or the labor court or something to uh, because uh, as per the medical condition she is not allowed to travel or anything so this cannot be done for like a two months, uh, which is like uh, till May end or May mid of the May. Not really, because this is your wife's situation is not covered by labor law. She is your spouse, so she's your dependent. Uh, okay. And under the labor law, is what's covered is your employment relationship with the company. So if the company has terminated you and given you the proper notice and paid you all the other entitlements, that's all. Those are all the questions that the labor office and ultimately the labor court would look at. Uh, right. But anything related to um, your sort of extending of the visa, even the labor courts um, do not have the authority to do so. So it's really just only up to the company. Okay. And the one month notice period, because I didn't got officially anything from my company in written. So the one month notice period officially will be considered once I have a written communication from the company. Well, s- some some form of documentation that you have been given notice, whatever that is. So let's say if the company hasn't given you a written documentation, but somehow there is correspondence afterwards that from you acknowledges that you have been served a notice. I mean, that too can qualify. Okay, right. Yeah, because that I just got like uh, from my manager because I'm working on the client side. So I didn't got anything from my company. I just got the information from the client that they are not going to renew. But I didn't got any information from my company that well, they are uh, they got the notification that not going to renew the contract or anything. Sure. Well, so, then perhaps perhaps you haven't really been given notice, right? So then, if you yes. haven't been given by the client but not by the company, perhaps there hasn't been given uh, there hasn't been an actual notice. Right. So in this case, they have to give the one month uh, visa at least for the April month, right? Oh, the notice uh, as, of the, as of the time they actually give you notice from that time. Yeah. Okay, okay. Right. thank right. you so much thank for you. your call. Thank you. Thank you. Thank if you have a question for Ludmilla, you can give us a call, 431010, or you can text us like lots of people have been texting in. We did say that we we're going to talk about quite a complex um, situation. This next question was texted in, and it says, Hi, a friend has opened a salon with her daughter-in-law in... Um, one of the locations in Dubai around three years ago. She has paid the rent all of this time. And this is the the person's friend. Um, but she's been told not to get involved in the operations by the daughter-in-law. So in order to avoid family feuds, has 
complied with this. Um, she hasn't seen a return in shares or revenue. One check has already bounced, um, and she's worried that this might affect her as she is on, named on the trade license. A few more checks have bounced. How can she dissolve her part of the business, Ludmilla, without getting caught in the last checks or being liable for them? Should she apply to where she registered the company? Can she get any money back? What should she do, essentially? As you preface this, it's a very um, complicated question and very multifaceted. In short, there is no easy solution. Uh, Once you have um, gotten yourself in this situation where you ultimately are a a shareholder, it sounds like, so you're, um, and then perhaps even the manager, I'm not sure, not clear, but uh, but you're also obviously on the license, uh, plus you're financially invested, uh, it's just to unwind uh, a venture like this is, um, it cannot be done by one person. So it cannot be done unilaterally. It can only be done uh, collectively with all of the, the shareholders involved or through court. Um, and that's just the short of it. Uh, now, with regards to just to, to kind of parse out the issues with regards to the payments, uh, if um, there are proofs that all the payments, for example, towards rent uh, have come out of your account, your, your personal account, then once you do bring a um, civil case against um, against the other shareholder, you could bring a case against that shareholder and at least claim 50%. I mean, that's assuming that uh, the two um, the, the two women are 50-50% owners of the company. So assuming it's a 50-50, then you would be able, if you file a case through the court, to recover the 50% of all the payments you've made towards the business, um, uh, at least you know, so that there would be the other the other person's 50% um, which you've advanced so you could do it but that would obviously require bringing a court case which in of itself can be lengthy and expensive with regards to um, just um, dealing and with all and, and curbing all the other liabilities that's not very easy exactly for this very reason because Presumably, there is um, there are some checks already issued for to the landlord, perhaps um, to some other suppliers, and um, and service providers. And some of these checks may be for the services that have um, that are based on kind of a long term relationship. So um, those are liabilities that you need to deal with. You can't just close down the, the close down the company exactly for this reason, because if you could, then you could just walk away from your li- liabilities at any point in time. So ultimately, um, unless you can um, convince your your other shareholder to um, transfer um, their the business to yourself, for example. I mean, that's one option, uh, and then and that could be done for um, let's say I don't know a a, a, a dirham um, for the share, for example. And then then you could at least take over control of the business. And then if if you believe that you can sort out the affairs, at least it'll be under your control. That's one option. The other option is that you offer to transfer your shares to the other shareholder. And to be honest with you, in most cases. That actually may be the the best economical solution, only because uh, yes, you have already invested all this money, but you can be on the hook for so much more in terms of liabilities that are, that are still attached to the business. And if you are not operating the business, you don't know the business; those liabilities can only grow, and you will have no control over trying to curb them. So it may actually be at this point in time just more of a damage control. And if you can convince the other shareholder to accept your shares and just kind of walk away from the business, I mean that's another option. And then the final final option, if you cannot come to any agreement on this, um, 
I guess it's not really, it's a third option is that you can look for an investor who can come and sort of buy out the business. But if the business is in the state that it is right now, it's probably not likely that somebody will come forward and want to invest uh, more cash. But finally, if everything else fails, then the only other option is to go to court and to seek uh, dissolution of the company. And then ultimately, it will be the court um, that will appoint a liquidator and then will inform all the creditors and all about the, um, um, you know, about the liquidation. And then, and then depending on what the, what assets the business has it would disperse the the proceeds of the assets through an auction okay we have very complex it is a complex but you know interesting question and obviously well thoroughly answered and david has a very brief question lude miller this one it says have there been any changes in labor card renewal costs i was aware of the category system before but recently our labor renewal costs seem to have tripled per staff member we are aware that yes, um, various um, uh, I guess labor card and establishment card charges, um, kind of across the different economic zones, have gone up. Uh, there hasn't been any particular regulation mandating that the costs have gone up. It's just sort of more internal circulars. Uh, but we know, for example, that establishment cards, which is the equivalent of a labor card for companies, have tripled in a number of free zones and um, labor cards as well, we've heard. So it's it's true. It's happening. Now, if there's a decree um, sort of setting out what those um, increases are, uh, there isn't one. It seems to be done on the internal circular, but there's nothing really you can do. This is, you know, this is a government. Um, decision, so you just have to accept the, the new cost. Okay, hopefully that answers the question, David. Um, our guest today is uh, Ludmilla Yamalova from Yamalova and Plethka. Ludmilla, we're putting you under a lot of pressure. We've got a lot of questions. You're very popular. So we're going to try and get through as many as possible. Um, just quickly, we have this one. It's quite an interesting one about employment, this one. It says, um, I have been working for the same company for 10 years. They're currently renewing my visa. However, they've asked me to sign a document that states if I leave the company within two years of renewal, I have to pay all the expenses incurred for renewal and cancellation. Is this legal? Surely this was initiated during my beginning of employment, which was, of course, 10 years ago. It doesn't actually matter. Under the law, it doesn't matter whether you've been working for 10 years or you've been working for one month. The law clearly uh, forbids companies from passing on any expenses related to making someone work in the country legally to the employee. So the law is very explicit that any uh, any related expenses to visa application, residency, entry permits, even Emirates ID and all that is actually the responsibility of the company and therefore any kind of undertakings that seek to uh, to move that uh, expense onto the employee will just for, uh, just simply will not be enforceable uh, so for your purposes um, it depends on what your relationship is like with the company uh, if you um, if you worry that you might jeopardize that your relationship might be jeopardized if you refuse to sign that then just sign it knowing that that document will not um, ever be enforceable because it's against the law Okay, somebody else has texted in and said they've moved into a new build. One year after the handover, they don't have any telephone or internet connections. Are there any legal options for recourse? Well, I'm not clear whether this is a rental or um, a freehold. So if you're, if you're renting, then you could have an argument that your property is not really in a habitable state. Mm. And obviously not having these days, in this day and age, and not having a telephone line and internet connection can be considered as, as not being quite habitable. And it, there is definitely a very reasonable expectation to have those services um, connected for properties uh, when, when you rent a property, unless the contract explicitly provides otherwise. So 
in this case, you could take it to the rent committee, and that's provided that you're renting the property. You could take it to the rent committee and and argue that um, there has either been a breach of contract, and therefore that um, you have the right to terminate early and also seek compensation. And the compensation would be in the form of what you think is the sort of shor- shortfall in the services or the quality of the property you w- you um, you would have received as a result of lacking those services. And that would be up to the rent committee to decide what that um, compensation should be. Um, so it would either be that or, for example, you could, depending on how you will, how much you're willing to live in those conditions, you could negotiate a lower rent, but plus compensation for the previous time. Okay, we have Juma on the line now. And this is a question. Juma's a landlord, I believe, and he's got tenants. Juma, what's your question for Lude Miller? Hi. Uh, first of all, a very informative program. So thanks for keeping us updated with all the things you guys talk about. Thank you. For so I'm, I'm the... Yeah. Uh, so, so I'm the landlord. I, as per, I gave a 90-day notice to my current tenant uh, that um, here is the new lower rent, and if you wish to renew, uh, this is a 90-day do- notice, and let me know before the 60th day, uh, 60 days before the expiry of the contract. Uh, they, they didn't get back to me. They said that they had some personal emergency and they're out of the out of the country. So, anyhow, now we are at a stage where the the lease is expiring. The Ichari contract is expiring at the uh, two weeks from today. And uh, what I wanted to know is, in case uh, we cross the deadline of the Ichari contract and uh, they continue to stay over there and I do not get the money, the payment of the rent, wh- how does the law protect me? What rights do I have? What do I have to do in that case if they continue to live over there and I don't get the money? Uh, sure, in the short, uh, sure. In short, the law um, does have protection under such circumstances. You just need to manage your expectations in terms of what it will require. Because it's not true that just because somebody stops paying your rent today, you can just go and change keys and, and evict them tomorrow. Um, there's a very specific process you need to follow. So number one, let's say when the ti- that date comes when they're supposed to move out and the move out does not happen, they don't, they don't pay you um, the rent, then they, they can be considered in default in default of obviously their obligation to pay rent. After that, you can serve them with a notice, um, and that's basically notice of default and ultimately perhaps notice of eviction. That notice has to be done through the notary public and has to be served on the uh, on the tenant. And under the law, you have to give them thirty day uh, notice to basically you know. Uh, become current, if you will. Um, so mm-hmm. you can't really do anything with until those 30 days expire. So in the meantime, you have to just brace yourself and expect that you may not be receiving payment. And mm-hmm. if that once that notice expires, if um, things remain the way they are and they ha- they're still in default, then your only option is to, unless you can negotiate an amicable settlement, is to go to RDC, the Rent Dispute Committee, and file a case there. And there you will be filing a case for two things, and this is very important. You need to include... The uh, so the breach of contract and therefore compensation for the um, for the, the months uh, where you have not been um, uh, where you have not received your rent one and two for eviction. So it's really important that you say you you request both things um, because uh, and then at that point you ultimately if unless they've come current and they've had a some sort of an excuse that they convinced their, uh, the judge that they had a legitimate excuse then the, the verdict will be in your favor and then they will have to compensate you for the time where they did not pay rent and they will have to move out, but that can take a, a few months. Okay, Juma, sure. very best of luck with the case. Thank you. 
Okay, just one final question. We're going to squeeze in Ludmilla. I think we've got <laughs> enough time. This one is also to do with rental property. It says, I issued rental checks when the due date for my last check passed. The real estate agent called me and told me my check's been returned for technical reasons. Um, they said they couldn't give me the check back because the owner was out of the country um, and I can't get the check from the bank. So basically, this person's called their bank and said, why was the check? What was the technical issue? What's going on here? And the bank said they didn't receive any check for clearance. So the real estate is asking me to pay in cash without returning the cheque. What shall I do? Um, I mean, I can see by the look on your face, you're going to say whatever you do, don't hand over any cash. <laughs> Indeed, yes. I love the question. So, yes, absolutely. Until you get your previous cheque back, you you hand over no cash um, or no other forms of payment to anyone else. Um, so, I mean, that's just that. Uh, and um, and then perhaps, uh, you know, the other sort of aspect of it is to be very careful about uh, giving cash to anyone, even, for example, if you do get your cheque back anyone other than the owner, unless that person in this particular case, a real estate agent actually has a power of attorney, not only represent the owner, but more importantly, uh, accept money on behalf of the owner. So this is very important because I cannot tell you how many powers of attorneys we see from agents that actually do not have the right or the authority for them to accept cash. So you know, whatever happens in some, if some miraculously you get some sort of confirmation from the bank that the check is no longer void, uh, no longer valid, which I would question in any event, because once there's a check, there's a check and it's, it's unless you have it in your hands, it can always resurface. Um, then, but let's say if something were to happen, just always be very, very careful who you're making your next payments to. Yeah, uh, the golden rule is if there's a check. To, in any way to do with rent or not until you have that check back don't hand over cash because unfortunately this estate agent could be unscrupulous yeah correct because I mean ultimately if there is an actual, an actual issue and then the owner will say well you have not paid for your rent because your check um, uh, was uh, you know, declined for some reason and the owner has to the burden is on the owner to bring the case forward and, and request that you make your payment because you know, the other sort of the previous payment was not made but it really the burden has to be on the owner and you have to feel comfortable that somehow your previous check has been addressed before you make any further payments. Can I just finish off with one question? It's just a quick one here. Somebody's texted in, no name. Who's supposed to pay visa costs if an employee wants to sponsor his wife? Uh, it's, the, it's the sponsor who pays um, the visa costs unless uh, there's an underlying contract between the sponsor uh, being the employee and the company f- mm. otherwise. In other words, as a sponsor, you're responsible for your for your dependents, so therefore you pay all the costs. However, there are a number of uh, companies that provide as a benefit to the employee, but this has to be an additional benefit that's that's written in the contract where the company will also c- uh, cover the cost of the, um, of the employee dependence but otherwise the default is the sponsor i.e. the employee okay i think that was a record number of calls and texts ludmilla yamalava from yamalava and plethka thank you very much for joining us always a pleasure thank you that is all we had time for on drive live talks legal as per usual if you want to talk to ludmilla get your questions in early she'll be back next week there's just so much more to hear download our podcast at dubaii 1038.com